Yeah, so um, they're pretty deep into the art scene, and so, or we have a, a UFC fighter who's going to come on um, and talk about his battles with mental illness. We have, those are the type of people I want to bring in, people who are yeah, willing true. to be vulnerable. Yes. And that way, through their vulnerability, we can raise awareness. Mm. We could expose what mental illness is in reality and not what, how it's depicted through film right love it and so through those real stories not only show what mental illness is but the resilience the overcoming um and, and the hope and the support system that helps you helps carry those people through those moments so that's where i'm here i like it yeah that's where i'm here i like it so at some point what we'll talk about is is how perhaps <clears throat> pardon me collaboration with the orchards might work hundred uh, percent. I was already, once you mentioned, you mentioned the orchards earlier. Um, I was already thinking about how to collaborate. So this is exciting yeah, definitely. because one of the things the orchards intends to do, <clears throat> pardon me, is to do some film work. Hey, Erica. Hey, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> See that? Already. Yes. So what, what, what we want to be able to do is to focus particularly on the homeless population, especially those who um, struggle with mental health. Mm -hmm. And then through the work that we would do in providing them with, with the services that they need, follow them through that process from becoming homeless to becoming homeowners. Oof. And that gets captured in a series to show that individuals do have this capacity. They do have the capacity, not only to take control of their lives, but live life to the very fullest. Yes. But what they need is the guidance, the direction, the support of all of us. Mm -hmm. Because as we often say, but for the grace of God. There go I. There, mm. I, I already knew this was gonna turn <laughs> into, I knew this was gonna turn into <laughs> church, people. <laughs> so before we get started with the sermon, um, I want to introduce the guest here. It's a pleasure and an honor to have Dr. Sam Hasty here. Uh, is that the, or is it Hasty or Hasty? I'm sorry. I say Hasty. Yeah. My snobbish brother says Hasty. Oh no! Oh really? Yeah, yeah. There's a difference in pronunciation amongst brothers of your last name. He is the only one in the family who says Hasty. Okay, so we and have, his snobbish kids. <laughs> we have professors, <laughs> Dr. Sam Hasty. <laughs> who's also a professor at Miami-Dade College for how, how many years? It's almost six years now. It's, it's a relatively short period. Uh, I've been in um, South Florida for almost seven years. Mm -hmm. And prior to being here, I lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina, That's right. That's right. Uh, uh, where I taught at Fayetteville State University for about a dozen years. Okay. About a dozen years. So career educator. Um, ever since graduating from West Virginia University in 2021, came right out, started working for Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, and was there for two years before moving to Fayetteville, North Carolina. And if you're not familiar with Fayetteville, North Carolina, it is the home of Fort Bragg, which is now the largest military installation in the country, personnel-wise. Mm -hmm. Fort Hood is still the largest la um, landmass. But I went to teach at... Um, Fayetteville State University and ended up teaching particularly in the School of Education where my job was to teach teachers how to teach. Okay. And then after being there for about 12, 13 years, decided I would move to South Florida so I could be closer to 
home of origin, the Bahamas, and then took a position at um, the Wolfson campus, Miami-Dade College. And when I interviewed, <clears throat> pardon me, when I interviewed initially, fell in love with the campus, fell in love with particularly the diversity that I saw and said, God, if you give me an opportunity to be there, I will be there until they tell me no longer. And so it's been um, almost six years. So last year became tenured professor at nice, uh, Miami Dade. Yes, thank you, thank you. Hard work, but very rewarding. And, and can you mention? Can you just describe what it means to be tenured? Yes, yes. Please. So <clears throat> tenured means that I now have a permanent teaching position in the School of Social Sciences. Mm -hmm. And I emphasize in the School of Social Sciences because my tenure is with the School of Social Sciences. So if for some reason the School of Social Sciences closes, I lose tenure mm -hmm. at Miami-Dade College. But what it means is that my job with the School of Social Sciences at Miami-Dade College is permanent. Mm -hmm. It's permanent. It's permanent as much if you, if you don't do anything illegal or immoral, then you'll probably hang on to your job. But you can definitely push the envelope a little bit more. You can push it a little bit more. Okay. Right? Yeah. You can you you can so those of us who are college professors, mm -hmm. it is a thing that we really work for very hard, particularly on the front end. Yes. And so a lot of our attention is given to crossing the T's and dotting the I's to make sure that we become tenured. And then beyond that we become a little bit more comfortable and, and <clears throat> pardon me in doing the additional things that we would like to do. So for me, I'm a classroom teacher, always have been, so that will always be my first and uh, first love. But I'm interested in research, I'm interested in developing additional products, I'm interested in writing, I'm interested in a little bit of filmmaking, those things. Now I can relax a little bit, so to speak, now that I'm pursuing those things and try to do all of those in conjunction with the work that I do at Miami-Dade College. But let me give credit particularly to my students, uh, particularly uh, here today, to a former student in the person of Josie. Uh, thank you, Josie, for not just the invitation to be here, but you've given me an opportunity to see who you have evolved to become. You've always been a good student. The question is, what kind of a person have you become over the time that we have not seen each other in these few years. And just in my short catch-up period, you are still a good person. Yeah. You are still a good person. Dr. Maser testifies to that uh, just in the short time that we've had uh, together so far. Uh, you talk about what it is you're doing, and my senses tell me that not only are you good at what you do, but you're a good person, and for that reason, you've attracted the kind of talent <clears throat> pardon me, that you've attracted so far. That's what I like to believe. I don't know how true that is, but that's what I like to believe. Sometimes we're delusional, but but thank you. I appreciate Indeed. that. Indeed. I appreciate that. Yeah, what we're trying to do here is like I like I was telling you off camera is just bring awareness to mental health through whatever means, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's through a boot camp, yep. whether it's through bringing special guests like yourself on to tell your story and say of course. And, and talk about what you're doing in the community. Of course. Whether it's the orchards, whether it's um your development of, of relationships, sure, um, all of those things coming together just sheds light on, this, on the many aspects and the spectrum that is mental health. Indeed, right? indeed. And now is a great time. Yeah. Uh, now is a great time because there is 
greater awareness, and not just greater awareness. I think people have been aware, but there is a greater embrace of the reality that something needs to be done, that, that for all of us, there is some imperfection somewhere. For all of us, there is something that doesn't quite function 100%. And for some of us, it's more physical. For some of us, it's social. For some of us, it's emotional. And for others, it's mental slash psychological. And what we want to be able to do with all of our brothers and sisters on every spectrum of the rainbow, okay, is to be able to say, "Mm, to the degree that you're human, you are worth every bit of being human, and for that, I will lean into your worth and value who for who you are and do the very best that I can to help you be all that you can possibly be. No matter which side of the globe you come from, no matter what your language is, no matter what your gender, gender orientation is, we're not into that. What we're into, if you are dressed in flesh, yeah, we want to be able to lean into who you are and what you do. Awesome. I want to know a little bit more about you in terms of your upbringing. Um, I know you said that you came from the Bahamas. Correct. And the reason I want to know is just because listening to you, I want to know how this mindset develops. In many ways, I hear myself in you. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear teachings that you probably have instilled in you that, that just pour out of you. Um, I listened to a couple of speeches that you've given and, and the TED Talk and, and everything. I was like, I want to know more about what molded this man. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing in the Bahamas or just some of the things that have helped you develop the philosophy that you live your life by. Indeed. Very, very fortunate to be raised by two awesome, awesome parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weekends ago, um, went to the Bahamas, to uh, visited the Bahamas to celebrate my dad's 85th birthday. It was awesome. awesome. Uh, so fortunately, <clears throat> pardon me, mom and dad are still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom is 80. Uh, they have been married for 65 years, and I have one, two, three, four, get it right, four siblings. So there are five of us. There, 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 there are five of us. Three hasties and one hasty. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. Okay. Grew up, um, I want to say poor, um, whatever poor means, um, but never really had a need always had clothing, always had food, always had shelter, but raised by two godly parents, two godly parents um, who just people, good moral character, believe in working hard, uh, believe in taking care of family and taking care of, uh, of each other. That has not changed even to today. And with that as a backdrop, then my focus moving forward was then to really, and quite frankly, psychology for me, which is really my discipline, happened kind of serendipitously, shall we say. So I started attending the College of the Bahamas right out of high school. And then near the end of that year, got a letter from the registrar, dear Mr. Hasty. We are about to put you out of college. Whoa! <laughs> How are you going to put a brother out of college? Yes, sir. Um, your GPA, uh, which is a .50, is just not cutting the mustard. Not a problem. Not a problem. No one puts me out of their college. I left. 
Then I go to a di- completely different island. So Nassau, Bahamas is home. Mm-hmm. Moved to Freeport, Grand Bahamas, started working for the oil company, did that for four years and said, this work thing is not for me, okay? Mm-hmm. Off to college I go. So went to little college, Christian college, in Henderson, Tennessee, and decided I was going to be a pastor. So I, I felt I have listened to some of the speeches you've given, and I'm like, I am sitting in church. I literally was like, this is a sermon he's giving, his tone, his delivery. It's, it's pretty cool. Well, go ahead. So went to train to be a pastor, and um, in my last year of seminary school, if you may, um, ran across this discipline, this one subject called Introduction to Psychology. And as I'm in this one course studying Introduction to Psychology, I learn about behaviorism and particularly Skinnerian operant conditioning. I was done. That was it for me. Mm-hmm. That was it. And so my college professor at the time, he recognized that I had this, this great love for psychology. And he says, why don't you stick around for an additional year and, and get a double major? So in addition to getting your, 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 your pastorate, you would then also get your bachelor's degree in psychology. Sorry, um, got to get back to the Bahamas by June 7th. This was in 1986 when I was getting ready to graduate. Got to get there by June 7th because there's a little girl in the Bahamas who waiting to exchange nuptials, and if I'm not there, She's not going to stay in line, okay? That's not happening. So graduated, within a month got married, started teaching high school in the Bahamas. Started teaching high school. And in the work that I was doing with my students, which was particularly not only helping them to better understand how to learn, but what I recognized that so many of them were challenged in their home environments, I started meeting with their parents to help them deal with the crises that they were having. And so I said to my wife, it's time to go. It's time to go back to the U.S. and train to be a psychologist. And so off I go to Philadelphia. And it is there the stage really got set in terms of started working on alcohol and drug addiction and did that for a while and then move on to the master's degree and left Philadelphia and move on to West Virginia University where I had the awesome opportunity to be the student of Dr. Julie Vargas. Most people would not recognize that name. Dr. Julie Vargas is the daughter of one B.F. Skinner. Oh, wow. Yes. So here it is. I'm at West Virginia University for an entire semester. I'm learning behaviorism under the hand that has touched the hand. (laughs) And so I'm just thinking, you know, this is heaven. This is heaven. Graduated then from West Virginia University with the doctorate in psychology and then decided what I really want to do is teach. And so I taught for a couple of years, but then when I moved to Fayetteville, North Carolina, it is there that when I started attending the Helen Street Church of Christ in Fayetteville, North Carolina, this is 2003, we had just gone to war in Iraq. And because of Fort Bragg being in Fayetteville, North Carolina, the vast majority of individuals in Fayetteville are military in one way or another, particularly the Army. And so many of the members of the church who were active army were being deployed and it was having a negative impact on the families. And the church leaders at that point in time asked me if I could create a counseling office within the church to provide counseling to church members. I said, I do it under one condition. 
that we can provide counseling to those church members, but we needed to provide it to the community members as well. And they said, we, we're okay with that as long as the service of the community members does not supplant the work that you're doing with the church members. It was never a conflict. For 12 years, it worked extremely well. That is awesome. It, 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 it worked extremely well. So having been, having, having served both in the capacity of teaching full-time college while also providing counsel to individuals, now things have evolved to a place where it makes sense for me at this point in my development to then create the orchards, which is now going to teach individuals how to go into private practice while they provide services to individuals who cannot afford mental health services. So we're trying to pull all of this together. And ever since being here in South Florida, my focus has been particularly on nurturing significant other relationships, partner dating, marriage uh, relationships. Because what I experienced particularly in, in, in Fayetteville was that the individuals who showed up most for counseling were married couples, mm. were married couples. And so I decided once I made the transition out of Fayetteville to South Florida, I wanted to focus more on getting ahead of the game, so to speak. And so the vast majority of people that I see today are individuals who are dating couples, um, engaged to be married couples, and then I see some married couples as well. So what I tried to do in this four-month four course of study that I've created, particularly for these dating couples, is to help them better understand who they are in preparation for the life that they would like to have together. That's the evolutionary process. What do you call the course of study that you created? From me, so for 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 dating partners mm -hmm. who come into um, as dating partners, that's just a four month course of study. No particular name, right? Uh, but what I call it is relationship enrichment program. The relationship enrichment program. There's another one where I help singles who are single and want to become married. That one I call from meet to marry in 18 months. So I coach those individuals in finding a mate. And once that mate is found, then I coach and counsel them and their mate to build a meaningful relationship that eventuates into nuptials, exchange, and marriage within that 18-month period. Now, 18 months. So this was surprising to some people when you mentioned it earlier here in the office. You said in 18 months. Right. And what I'm finding is 18 months is actually too long. It can go from meet to marry in 12 months. Why is marriage so important? Particularly in the United States of America. Sure. America is rigged for marriage. And why do you say that? And Because clearly from the, st uh, from the statistics, the data that we see, married individuals happier, wealthier, live longer. Just, I mean, you look at the research anywhere, right? Because what we find is that here in America, there are many, many more benefits, many, many more benefits for married couples. Now, what, hap what has happened, unfortunately- Wait, are, I'm sorry, what, I'm gonna interrupt you a little go bit. Ahead. What are some of those benefits? So, because there is dual income and living under one roof, it is, more cost effective, okay. right? So you don't have to spend as much money going out, 
right? Because you are seeing your partner on a regular basis and not necessarily having to travel back and forth, you spend more time together. That will help to create a richer, particularly when you start breeding and having kids, the stability that is provided for those kids is phenomenal because what kids want is to be able to know from day to day to day that they can rely on the same thing. They can rely on mom and they can rely on dad. That stability that's there under the auspices of marriage really improves the quality of individual lives, particularly during this very, very sensitive developmental period. So you have the financial benefit, but you also have the benefit of um, in partnered relationships. So for example, um, my wife, she takes advantage of my health care insurance at Miami-Dade College, mm-hmm. right, because of marriage. <laughs> if we were single, she couldn't be a part of that. Mm-hmm. She couldn't be a part of that, right? So you have the financial benefit. You have the social benefit. Uh, you also have the spiritual benefit. So individuals living together, living together under the auspices of marriage, they're able to grow and nurture the relationship because they're able to spend more time together. And unfortunately, one of the misconceptions with living together and in, in having the same benefits is that it simply isn't true. The research is clear on that. Individuals who live together without being married, eventually when they marry, they tend to divorce within the first year, especially if they've lived together for more than five years. You say, So if they've lived together prior to marriage Correct. for more than five years, Correct. what's the result? Within the first year they tend to divorce. And why is that? The reason is because living together gives this false perception that you're married when in fact you are married. It's a commitment that you don't get out very easily. So living together, you can go and come as you please. I mean, the same is true in a married relationship. In fact, I encourage people to marry on the basis with the understanding that there is a great deal of freedom. In fact, I say there's more freedom in marriage than there really is in dating. But what happens is there's this false perception that when you live together, that that somehow simulates what marriage is. And the f- it is the farthest thing away from the truth and reality because, because there is something that happens particularly psychologically with us, in addition to legally, okay? But psychologically, when we make the commitment to someone, that connection becomes so powerful that you realize, oh, no. This is it. There is a meaningful connection. There is no getting out, not right away. And so when you do have those arguments or disagreements or begin to see things differently, you just can't get out just like that because legally you're tied and things are tied together. So why do you think that you're saying that the system is rigged for marriage? Correct. But then we have such a high rate of divorce. We do have a high rate of divorce the reason why we have a high rate of divorce, in fact, um, let me provide you with some statistics. 50% of all first-time marriages in America end in divorce. Many of those individuals who divorce will marry for a second time mm-hmm. and divorce at a rate of 65%. And the third time? And they will marry for a third time and divorce at a rate of 75%. And particularly when I'm teaching this in my marriage and family course, I'm teaching in other courses, and I provide that data, I say to my students, what do you make of that data? And many of them says, marriage doesn't work. And I said, that's interesting, because I read the data differently. The way I read the data is, people want to marry, they don't know how to stay married. Mm -hmm. 
That's the difference. They want to marry, they don't know how to stay married. So why do we see this increase then with successive marriages? And a part of it is because individuals are less tolerant in remaining in a second or third marriage than they did for the first marriage. You'll tend to see that the first marriage lasts a little bit longer. But once they get out, which is a difficult decision to come to in many instances, but once they get out, they say, if ever I do it again, I won't stay in as long as I did. So what are the contributing factors? What are the problems? What's the resolve? Let me say the contributing factors are, again, when you look at the data, why do people separate and divorce? No matter what data you look at, generally the top three reasons people separate and divorce, number one, financial. Number two, communication. Number three, sexual intimacy. Now, Dr. Mesa, allow me to reinterpret the data for you, Please. because here's what the data really means, okay? When individuals separate and divorce, for those top three reasons, here is how I interpret them. Number one, selfishness. Number two, selfishness. <laughs> You want to take a guess as to what number three is? I'm guessing it's selfishness. <laughs> selfishness. And here's what I find. When individuals separate and divorce on the basis of finances, it is because someone is being selfish about the finances. Someone is being selfish, or both people being selfish. When people separate and divorce on the basis of communication, it is because someone or both of them, they're being selfish about who should communicate to who about what at what time, under what conditions. I want you to talk to me in this way at this time and generate this kind of, whatever the case is, right? And then number three, number three, when individuals separate and divorce on the basis of sexual intimacy, it's because I'm not getting enough sex, I'm getting too much sex, or the angle of the sex, or the positioning of the, <laughs> there's, some, there, there's some selfish, some, some, something. Of course. So let's go back to that four-month course that I talked about, and even, even, even the, the, the meet to marry in, in, in 18 months. So what I focus on, particularly then, are what I refer to as the intimacies, the intimacies, physical, social, emotional, psychological, and spiritual intimacies. Okay. And to the degree that individuals are able to get a better understanding of those intimacies, first and foremost with yourself, and then with someone else, it is those things that you're really fostering in the relationship that's going to make it richer and richer and richer. So let me come back to my statement that... We see this escalation. We see this escalation in divorce rate. It's not because marriage doesn't work. Marriage works extremely well. It is because people who want to be married, they don't know how to stay married. They don't know how to stay married because, again, we, we, we feed ourselves this selfish narrative that my marriage is really all about me. That my marriage, I should be able to get what I want, when I want it, in the way that I want it. Even though we don't use that language, that is what it turns out to be in many instances. And the truth of the matter is, marriage is not about that. And again, when I teach on this subject, and I ask individuals, even in my coaching and counseling program, I ask, what is marriage really about? And they say, well, you know, you really want someone with whom you're compatible, and you really want someone with whom you can build a life. You really want someone who you can have uh, children with, and on and on and on. Now, what about what about I have to be extremely attracted to them? They have to have so much money in the bank, and all these Absolutely. other checklists that people Absolutely. have. What do you think about that? Nonsense. Why is that? Nonsense, because again, one of the narratives that we push and perpetuate is this idea of compatibility. 
there are no two people who are compatible, mm -hmm. right? And yet, the truth is, if you're a human, you're compatible. So, so the, 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 this very, very long checklist, again, emphasize selfishness. Mm -hmm. Here is what I want. Mm -hmm. And it has to meet this particular checklist. And if I meet this checklist, that's really good, okay? But here's what most people, it takes them too long to figure out. You have a checklist? Great. Guess what? The person on the other side of the table has a checklist too. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're not meeting all of those things on their particular checklist. So let me give you a very concrete example. I was working with a client um, who really single person was wanting me to help them find someone with whom they can go from meet to marry, from meet to marry. And in the consultation that I had with them initially, I said to them, what is it you're really looking for? And that's kind of a setup question, mm -hmm. okay? Um, because the truth of the matter is, the only thing that you really should be looking for is human, period. That's it, that's it. All of the other things on the checklist, they really do not matter. So in the consultation, the person came with their checklist and needs to be college educated and ABC, XYZ. Uh -huh. Not a problem, not a problem. Well, let's, let's get started here, got started. And before I got started with them, I said, now here's my approach, particularly with singles whom I'm going to coach into a relationship and then into marriage. I'm going to recommend online dating apps. All right. Contrary to popular belief, they're actually one of the best tools out there. They get a bad rap. And one of the reasons they get a bad rap is because people say, well, you really don't know who you're meeting. You go to a bar, you don't know who you're meeting. You go to a party, you don't know who you're meeting. Even if that person is your friend's friend, you still don't know who you're meeting. So that aside, let's just move that aside for a second. So I said, um, I'm going to be encouraging you to use online dating apps. Mm -hmm. But rather than the traditional and conventional way the apps are used, which is fishing with a fishing line or fishing with a fishing pole where you get one fish at a time, I'm going to recommend fishing with a fishing net. Okay. Very different approach. Uh -huh. Very different approach. And the person's initial response was, whoa, whoa, no. Like, what are you saying, pastor? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah like, like, like yeah. how does that work, yeah. right? I'm no floozy. Yeah. <laughs> no, the very opposite is true, right? Mm -hmm. So they said, well, go ahead and explain, which I did. And I said, here's what you do. I really want you to get busy on the dating apps, and I want you to attract about at least 12 people for starters. Mm -hmm. And then I want you to set your schedule such that you're going to date all 12 people in the very first weekend. What? <laughs> How do I do that? That's exhausting. It is exhausting. It is exhausting, right? How do I do that? Yet your conventional, traditional um, mindset of dating is very different than mine. Mm -hmm. Think of dating that weekend as an interviewing process. You're going to interview 12 people for the job, so to speak. So you're going to schedule two-hour interview sessions. You're going to space them out a little bit. And here's what's going to happen. So you're going to select like three different coffee shops. It's going to be nothing more than coffee or smoothie or beverage kind of a place. Gotcha. So I will then provide you with a script with very specific questions you want to ask. Just like you're in the interview. Okay. Right? Because listen, time is of the essence. All right? And what I find is that most people have challenges 
in dating relationships because they allow too much time to pass by under the erroneous perception that you really need time to get to know someone. I said, that's not true. For example, if you sit down in a restaurant next to somebody, close enough that, you know, call it personal space, within five minutes you know whether or not you're safe with that person. No if ands, or buts. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it'll take you five years to get to know somebody? And what tends to happen is the longer you spend time with someone, the less attention you pay to the kinds of things that you need to pay attention to. That's the problem. That's the problem. So what coaching does, particularly in that first weekend, with that very um, precise script, it forces individuals to say who they are and where they are in a particular position right up front. So one of the things, one of the very, very first things on that. On but that some, some people are really good at, in, at first interviews, right? Not a problem. Not okay. a problem, right? So, so, but after, 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 after that first interview, 50% of those people are just not going to qualify for whatever reason. They're not going to qualify, right? So, so, for example, one of the top things is what is your worldview? What is the other person's worldview? So are you theist, deist, um, pantheist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Are you atheist? Mm -hmm. If you're atheist and the other person is deist or let's say um, theist, mm -hmm. no matter how drop-dead gorgeous that person is to you, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, there's no need for you to go any farther. That's not going to work. But I can change him. I can convert him. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's the mentality, right? It, it, it is absolutely the mentality. And I had had this very same situation several mm -hmm. years ago when I was back in Fayetteville, North Carolina. So one day I get a request to see husband and wife um, after being married for five years. And so the wife was saying that, that um, we have a five-year-old son and... Um, I want my son to attend church, and my husband, uh, he's, he's just dead set against it. Mm -hmm. So they come in for, 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 for counseling. And he says, listen, I'm an atheist. This woman is Christian. She is theist. She knew my position before we married. To which she responded, yeah, but I thought you would change. Well, that's your problem. And so she said to me, well, Dr. Tasty, what do you think? He's correct. That's your problem. Because now he is saying, my son is not going to be raised to believe in a God. And now we've created a mess. Had that been discussed very early on, and, 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 and you would have trusted his word at the point, but somehow you thought that you could convince him to be someone other than who he is, that's a problem. So here's a proverb or a phrase for your listening audience. Here we go. Anyone persuaded against their will is of the same persuasion still. Anyone persuaded against their will is of the same persuasion still. Mm -hmm. And somehow we believe that we have this capacity to persuade people and then they're, no, no. And you know just as much as I know that particularly when we work with our clients, they really need to persuade themselves because unless they persuade themselves, that stuff doesn't stick. It just doesn't stick. So once again, in working with this particular um, couple, I said, truth of the matter is, I can't help you. And I really couldn't. I really couldn't because the stage was set. And what I said to her is, really, the only thing for you to do is to accept the fact 
that you married an atheist and he doesn't want his son to attend church. Period. That's it. So, yeah, I know Jesus provided, I mean, create, uh, did a, perform, this is the word I'm looking perform a whole lot of miracles. <laughs> I'm a son of God, but I'm not Jesus, okay? So that's not happening here. Yeah, you're it, not a miracle worker. No, that, 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 I mean, that horse has left the corral. So right? do you find sometimes that instead of, I, and I spoke to a, um, uh, another psychologist just sometime this week, I think it was, it was Monday, right? I don't even remember. It's been a, it's been a blur. Um, but we talked a lot about finding external validation and it versus internal validation and just coming. I think you mentioned somewhere, uh, something along the lines of coming into a relationship as love, as opposed to looking for love in that relationship. That is absolutely correct. Okay. And so the, the, the major challenge that we, that, that we have with this concept of love is we've bought into the narrative that someone should love me. Mm -hmm. And what I, in fact, teach, because I believe it and I live it out, is I don't need you to love me. I am love, L-O-V-E. Mm -hmm. I am love. So what I teach, particularly in my coaching relationship, uh, program is each individual should learn to be love, L-O-V-E, not L-O-V-E-D, L-O-V-E. And to the degree that each learns to be love, they become the first recipients of that love. And so if you are the recipient of the love that you are, you don't need anyone to love you, contrary to what we have been taught, contrary to what we believe. Right? You don't need someone to love you because you are love. Now, where this idea of love gets really, really confused and why we feel like we really need to, 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 to be love, we confuse love with companionship. What we want, particularly in partnered relationships, is the one thing that we cannot get on our own by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We do not need someone to love us. We can be love as we are. Mm -hmm. We do not need someone really to be with us to have children. We don't. We don't need someone to be with us for us to have money or property, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you really want or need someone for? The one thing that you cannot get on your own by yourself, companionship, period. You cannot be your own companion. Mm -hmm. You cannot. So what you're really looking for is companionship. And ideally what you want in your companion is for them to be love, L-O-V-E, not L-O-V-E-D, but here's the way it works. Because now it begs the question to some degree, what is love? Again, from a very spiritual perspective from which I come, mm -hmm. love is patient and kind and gentle and giving and forgiving. And to the degree that I personify those traits and qualities of patience, kindness, gentleness, givingness, and forgiveness, I really don't need those from you. What is in your own best interest is for you to be patient, kind, gentle, giving, and forgiving. And here's the way it works. When I am patient, you become, re you become the recipient of the patience that I am. When I am kind, you become the recipient of the kindness that I am. When I am gentle, giving, and forgiving, you become the recipient because when I am mean, ugly, nasty, and belittling, you become the recipient of that. It works in the very, very same way. In healthy relationships, when two individuals come into the relationship as patients, 
kindness, gentleness, givingness, and forgiveness. You don't want anything better than that. That is the very pinnacle of healthy relationships because you're able to come into those relations or that very specific relationship as love. Both individuals now, they become the recipient of the love the other person personifies, which then means that if anyone in that relationship chooses to leave that relationship and go elsewhere, just as they came as love, they go as love. And so you do, you, you, you do not become void of love because someone left. You become void of companionship. You now can then decide to go into another companionship as love. But that's e So theoretically, that's simple, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds so easy. But when somebody has felt that void and is broken and feels like my world has left me, this thing ended, and no one will ever love me again. How do you help people through that? Very good question. Very, very good. So let's say two individuals came into this relationship as love. What they need to continuously focus on is being love as opposed to being in love. For me, there is no such thing as in love. That's myth. That's, it's a set of a disaster. Now, when you come into relationship with someone as love, you also build an emotional connectedness with them. You build a social, these emotional intimacy, social intimacy, spiritual intimacy. If a person leaves that companionship, will that void be there? Yes, mm -hmm. the void will be there. Is that going to hurt? Yes, but because you are love, patient, you will now be patient with that loss. Because you are love, kind, you will be kind to yourself during that phase of void. Recognizing that because you have the capacity to continuously be love with the passage of time and the pursuit of another companionship, there will be another person. There will be another But nobody will love me how they loved me. Uh, but see... That is a narrative that says, then they were loving me in a way that only they could, which, which might be true, which might be true. But the truth of the matter is, clearly you got caught up in a place where you now thought you really needed that person love. So you lost yourself in the relationship you, and you started to abandon your own thoughts and feelings, and not just feelings, but your value of who you are. Because if you as a person were able to attract them in the first place, you will be able to attract someone else again. This then really goes to the heart of another erroneous concept that we particularly have, which is, well, that person was my soulmate. Mm -hmm. There is no such thing as a soulmate. There, there is no one special person in this world. For, there is no one, only one time in human history was any one person created for another one person, okay? That's called uh, Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And that's only for people who subscribe to that, yeah. right? So there is no one person in this world, for, because most of us, most of us would say, even today, if you're in a great relationship with someone, and God forbid, God forbid, that person passes on for whatever reason. Most of us would say, well, 
we would go into another relationship in time, mm -hmm. in time. We would go into another. But if that person were your soulmate and they pass, does that mean it's over for you for the, for the rest of life? Well, no, I'll just have another soul. Well, how many soul, souls do you have? <laughs> how many soulmates are you going to have in this life, right? These, 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 these are very distorted, selfish, erroneous, misplaced kinds of a concept. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is, and most people struggle with this when I meant this. Don't, don't most people marry somebody within a vicinity or a proximity of, their, of where they were born or where they're actually residing? Isn't that so? Absolutely. So if you want to change your soulmate, my, if my, you know what I'm saying? If Absolutely. My, if my soulmate is somewhere in India, I'm never going to find her. Absolutely. So, right? so the, 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 the term that we use in, 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 in psychology is propinquity. Propinquity, okay. Propinquity, okay. Which, which, which is cousin to proximity. Of course. Right? So we tend to connect with people that are closest to us, right? physically, socially, emotionally, psychologically. And again, now, one of, the, one of the huge misunderstandings is that, well, you really should marry someone of the same race, ethnicity, culture. This is nonsense. You, you should marry someone of the same species, human, period. What about religion? Because you mentioned religion before and you're a spiritual man, so I'm going to challenge you on Absolute, that. Which, which, right. so, so, so there are maybe two other areas that I would consider, okay. religion being one of them, and possibly politics. But you can change your politics just like you can change your religion. Mm -hmm. Those things generally do not change because those two things particularly, they're generally grounded in values and philosophies. So, so, so when I'm coaching my clients, I would say, okay, if you're going to filter on apps, you filter for religion. That's one of the things you filter for, possibly politics. But other than those two filters, any race, any culture, any ethnicity, etc. Because we human beings, we have the capacity um, to communicate with others. We have the capacity to, quote unquote, grow to love others. Although I don't believe in the concept of growing to love others. Don't, don't, don't. And the reason is you, 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 you grow as love. You, you, you don't grow to love someone, right? What happens is that you become more emotionally and socially connected with that person. Now, we may refer to that as growth, which, which, is, which, is, which is okay. Just like I don't believe in a couple growing together. Couples don't grow together. No more than two trees in the forest grow together. Mm -hmm. They don't. Two, I mean, outside of this building, there are two trees growing up outside of this building. We never say, hey, those two, tr those two trees are growing together. What we recognize is that they both, in the same plot of land, having access to the same nutrients in the same soil, being exposed to the same rain and the same sunshine, and growing. We never say those two trees are growing together. We say those two trees are growing. And yet, what we feel the need to say is that people grow in relationships together. That's not true. What's true is people grow. They may grow individually. They do grow individually. Now, to the degree that they grow individually at the same rate, they seem to be growing together. Mm -hmm. Because we will always say, if they are not growing at the same rate, 
we would say, well, we grew apart. Eh, no. One person grew and the other chose not to grow. Right? And that is a part of the basis that we use for separating um, from relationships, which, again, another conversation perhaps, that, that, that's, that's not a good idea. Because, again, to the degree that you are personifying patience, kindness, gentleness, givingness, and forgiveness, you would invite your companion to see whether or not he or she is growing ideally the way they should grow. Not for you. This idea of us doing things for people is, is, is just, it's, it's just really burdensome. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, might I invite you to do what is in your own best interest? And when you do what is in your own best interest, I then become the recipient of that. What do you say to a couple where one of the partners is telling the other, no, don't go do that, don't go pursue that? Um, one, one person wants to grow in, individually, whether it's professionally, spiritually, and they're being held back. What, what do you say to that couple or to either, either individual within that relationship? Yeah, selfish. selfish. Which one? It's, and possibly both. Possibly both. So, so if I want to go and do something, but you don't want me to do it, perhaps you're the selfish one and not wanting me to go? If I want to go and do something, perhaps I'm the selfish one in wanting to do that? Now, how does that work? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Because in a companionship, people tend to agree that there are parameters. There are, there are, there are, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a certain kind of containment. There's a certain kind of containment. And it may be that if you want to do something under the auspices of that particular relationship, it might begin to move beyond what might be the borders, physically, socially, emotionally, psychologically. All right? Now, for example, if two people come into a relationship and they agree for it to be a monogamous relationship, mm -hmm. and someone says, you know, well, I just feel the need to grow in this area, and I really, I really want to be sexually intimate with someone else. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you've moved beyond the parameters of what was first discussed and pretty much agreed upon about the nature, nature of this. So should the monogamous person then be patient with the person who wants to be polygamous? My response is no, no, right? You, 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 you still be patient as a person, but you do not tolerate Behaviors, and we get those two things confused all the time. I can be patient without tolerating the behavior of another. Mm -hmm. If someone now decides that they, for, for their own growth, that they really should uh, be a part of a polygamous relationship, now you get to decide whether or not you want to continuously be a part of that. The question is, did you see that coming? And in some instances, no. In most instances, yes, but we didn't pay attention to that mm -hmm. because we will focus on what I want, when I want it, in the way that I want it, and here's what I'm going to do to get it. Because even though that person right now is talking about um, possibly being in a polygamous relationship, I know they'll change their mind once they get a bit of this. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Take people at their word. Believe them for who they are at the time that you see them. And so... 
relationships, companionships can be awesome and great and rich and vibrant and evolving. But that's why in the beginning, when you make the selection for a mate, while it is the case that you might be physically attracted to someone, ultimately that's not where you make the decision. You make the decision based on character, the character of that person. As I said recently in one of my lectures, character carries the day. Character carries the day. Because the person you are today, from a characterological perspective, in all probability is going to be the person you'll continue to be. And just as your character is today, in time... But he can change, I'm telling you. So I, I always tell people past behaviors are predictors of future behavior. Correct. Right? So, but we go back to that, I can change him, he's going to change, he's going to do better, yeah, she's going to do better. Yeah, yeah. That, that, then that's called, that's called, from a Freudian perspective, denial. Right. I mean, it's, that's denial. That's 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 projection. Mm -hmm. um, that, that 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 that's deceit. Mm -hmm. That's self-deceit, because once again, when we buy into this idea based on who I'm seeing in this person, particularly physical and 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 um, they're, they're well educated and they're they're they're, they're well employed and, and, and have good money and. You're looking at all the wrong things because all of those things can vanish in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. They can vanish in a heartbeat. What tends to remain true over time is the person's character. Okay. And that is what you really want to assess over time. It's the very same thing that I, I said to this client who, in the beginning, she had a list. And I said, mm, I get you. Get rid of your list. And here's what I want you to do. Now, here's the rest of that story. So she took counsel in the consultation. I mean, we haven't even, hadn't even started working together. But three weeks later, when we started working together, she said, I have something to share with you. I'm not exactly sure uh, how you're going to take it or how you're going to respond to this. No, please, share, share. What do you have to share? I met someone uh, since we last spoke, and so I don't know if I want to do the fishing net thing anymore because I think I have someone on the hook. I said, no, this is great. Mm -hmm. She said, now, what's interesting is shortly after we spoke, I got onto my dating apps, and I had only two filters, only two filters, religion and politics. That was it. She said, met someone, we scheduled the date, but when the person walked into the restaurant, initially my heart dropped because they were much shorter than what they looked like in their picture. All right, nice. But she said, let me go with this. I'm already here. Let me roll with this. Long story short, she says, best choice I ever made. Best choice I ever made. Because you set aside all of these, um, what's the correct term? It'll come to me a little bit later. Uh, but that checklist really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And what you really want to do is to lean into a vulnerable space, albeit knowing how to make it safe as you lean into vulnerability and just live it out for a minute, live it out for a minute. And so the work that we did together was, and we're still doing it, the work that we're doing together is for her to better understand 
her? What are her needs? What are her desires? What are her motivations? What are her goal, dreams, and aspirations? That's you. That's you. Now, as you focus on those things, are you becoming love? Are you becoming patient, gentle, kind, giving, and forgiving to and for you first and foremost? Because when you become that person, anyone with whom you associate, they then become the recipient of the love that you are. And what you're going to look for in another person is for them to be love for them. And so as they become more patient, kind, gentle, giving, and forgiving to and for them, you then become the recipient of that. Now what you're going to build together, so to speak, is the one thing that you cannot get on your own by yourselves, which is companionship. So let me ask you this. You mentioned... Um, forgiveness. You keep saying forgiveness and forgiveness and forgiveness. Forgiveness is something people struggle with. Of course. Forgiveness is something that a lot of people just don't even know how to grapple with. Um, There's things that happen in relationships, whether it's infidelity, deceit of whatever type, and people don't know how to forgive. Family issues that happen. How do we forgive? Yeah, yeah. And once again, beginning with oneself. Beginning with oneself. So let's say... Um, dating couple is in a relationship and one is sexually unfaithful. And the person then recognizes, oh, that is not a good thing. <laughs> that is not a good thing. Right? The question that they need to ask themselves is, well, first they make a statement and then they ask a question. That was not, that was not the person I ideally would like to be. Here comes the question. Is that the person I want to continuously be? Yes or no? Yes or no? And so if the person says, that's not who I want to be moving forward, they now have given themselves permission to be a completely different person. They have forgiven themselves. You then look for the evidence of them having forgiven themselves by them not saying continuously, dude, you're just trash. You're scummy. When we continuously send those messages to ourselves, we have not forgiven ourselves. Now comes the other side of the equation, where then that person's partner who's aware of that infidelity, now has to deal with the reality of sexual unfaithfulness. Mm -hmm. If that person then decides, you did what you did because that's who you are, you didn't slip, you didn't make a mistake. Too much goes into slipping and making a mistake. No, 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 no. No, you did what you did because that's who you were. The question is, is that the person you want to continuously be? Now what I'm going to pay attention to, at least for a period here, and that's going to vary from couple to couple, I'm going to look for evidence of you being a different person if you say that you are, in fact, going to be a different person. And as the evidence mounts, then, because now at that point in time, the person says, in so many words, I forgive you for that. But let me go off on a tangent here for just a minute. Sometimes we think that when we forgive someone, it means that we need to remain with that person. And that's not true. 
that is not true. We don't have to do that. I forgive you for you having been who you are and then decide that is just too much for me to deal with emotionally and psychologically. I, I, I just can't. What most people do, what most people do is they say, yeah, I think I want to forgive you. Or they say, I forgive you. And then as they move on, they still struggle with it psychologically and emotionally. And then you see the evidence of them not having forgiven that person because now they're apprehensive, they are cautious, the words and the language that they are using refer to that thing time and time and time again. Mm -hmm. Well, have you really forgiven it? You have not forgiven it. You have not forgiven it. So I always say to couples when that happens, you need to decide if you're going to forgive it or if you're not going to forgive it. And if you're going to forgive it, are you going to stay with the person or are you going to move on? And it should not be conflated. That should not get confused. What happens in many instances, particularly in marriages, this gets to be a little bit more complicated because, again, marriage being a difficult thing to get out of, many individuals would say, I forgive you, but you better not do it again. Mm -hmm. Right? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work because even if you tell me you forgive me, it's going to happen again if I haven't forgiven myself. <laughs> See, that's a, it's a complicated matter. And yet, when you do the math on it, it can be very, very simple just in terms of figuring out how it ideally should work. Now, not simple in terms of working it out. Because someone who is sexually unfaithful, they are showing that there is an issue with character. There's an issue with character. And the question is, has that issue always been there? Or did that character change at some point in time? Or given that there was a change in the character, will it change back to what it was? Or are you going to continue on that particular path? Mm -hmm. This is where coaching and counseling makes all the difference. Because quite frankly, a lot of people just can't figure these things out on their own by themselves. Would you say that the infidelity might have been a result of, it's a symptom of something that's a little bit deeper than just that action? Because I think that's, that's a conversation we've had here before also. Yes, yes. So... I'm unfaithful in a relationship because of me. I am unfaithful because of me. It's very easy for me to say I am unfaithful because of my partner. Because she didn't do this. this that is correct. Mm -hmm. That is, And in that moment, what it is now revealing is my character. I will then blame you for the things that I do wrong. So I do not now have to feel bad about the things that I did. This is a character issue. Gotcha. This is a characteristic. Yeah, it's because of your actions and what you've done and how you've treated me that this has led to my actions. That is when correct. the reality is she or he is not responsible for your actions. You're responsible for your actions. That is correct. So if you're finding something in the relationship that is triggering you, you need to communicate that to your partner. Correct. As opposed to looking outside of the relationship. Absolutely. And that has to be quickly and clearly communicated. Mm -hmm. and, and to the degree... Now... Communication doesn't mean that it's going to be heard or resolved, but at least you're communicating it. It doesn't mean that even if it isn't successfully communicated or if it's not heard or reciprocated to in kind, that you now get to go and do what it is you want to do. Because anything that you do is reflective of who you are, not your partner, not someone outside of you. That's you. And the question always is, given who you are, is that the person you want to continuously be? That is the very simple, that's the question I would invite everyone to ask themselves every day. Who are you today? Is that the person you really want to be? And throughout the day, because 
when we experience uh, when we experience things in our lives every day all day that's the thing that challenges us i don't remember the last time i heard anybody talking about character character carries it makes a difference because character is who we are that's who we live as every every day but we're so easily like we talked about social media outside you have zero social media presence zero. um so many kids that are growing up right now are being constantly influenced through social media and we know very well that our environment shapes us that is correct so what are we doing and how do we shape people's characters in a way where they're actually self-reflective and, and ask themselves, who am I today? Is this who I want to be moving forward? Is this who I want to be today? Excellent question. Excellent question. Again, when I teach uh, human growth and development, that really looks from, from, from birth to the crown, as I like to say, right? From birth to death. And particularly given that I'm working with college students, here's what I say to them. When you give birth to your child, for whom do you give birth, you or the child? When you give birth to your child, and I say, listen, males, I'm talking to you as well, because contrary to popular belief, we actually give birth. Mm -hmm. There's only one way for the tree to grow in the garden, and that's for someone to plant the seed, okay? Mm -hmm. right? So when you give birth to your child, for whom do you give birth, you or the child? Many students would say, we give birth for me. That's my child. Some who actually think about it will feel a little conflicted and say, well, both of us. Well, those are wrong answers. The correct answer is, I give birth to the child for the child. And here's the philosophy behind it. To the degree that I believe that life is awesome, beautiful, and great, and I really want other persons to experience that, and to the degree that I can have a say in someone actually experiencing that, I can now procreate that person. When I procreate that person, I'm giving birth to that person for them to experience all the awesomeness and the wonders of the world. And as such, I raise them as such. Mm -hmm. So I'm not raising them as my property. I'm not raising them as my prisoner. I'm not raising them on my plantation. I'm raising them in the space that is safe for them to evolve into the person that they really ideally would like to be. A part of my job is helping them to understand who they would like to be. So, so from very early on, when they start exhibiting uh, behavior A, B, C, X, Y, Z, as a parent, I now say, here is who you are being. Is that who you would like to continuously be? Mm. So from very early on, from, 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 from the cradle, you start instilling that in your, is that who you really would like to be? Because that's who you're being right now. If you're being patient, here we go. <laughs> patient, loving, kind, and forgiving. If that's who you are being, is that who you want to continuously be? Mm -hmm. And to the degree that that's the person you want to continuously be, you will carry that over into adulthood from childhood. But these things are polluted right now. They're, they, po they're polluted so much. They we're, are. We're, we're, we're shown that wealth and fortune. Absolutely. And nice clothes. And Absolutely. all these very vain things are what we should be valuing. Yeah. Status. Absolutely. Having a company that blows up, you know, and these things are the things that we should value. But what happens when those things crumble and they go away? Yeah. And often we don't show the other side of it, right? So um, let me not try to delve into this too much no, because go for it. uh, it's, it's okay. So, so, so um, Steve Jobs, for example, okay. right? 
So many people admire him for the work that he has done for such a long time in creating Apple. I'm spilling water. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're okay. You're okay. All right. So many people admire him, and so many people want to be like him. Mm-hmm. And then I think when the book came out and you started hearing about what happened to his child or children and his family and the downside, uh, the truth of the matter is we all have 168 hours in the week, mm-hmm. and we can only do so much in different places within that time. And so if you want to be the big time leader of a big time company that's going to blow up and make a whole lot of money, yeah, you can do that, but you're gonna pay a price for that, Mm -hmm. all right? So again, let me delve into some possibly treacherous waters. Um, (laughs) I'm told told that that Tom Brady Mm -hmm. is the greatest of all times as 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 a football player, particularly as a quarterback, all right? And it's true. Mm-hmm. The evidence is there. Yeah. The evidence is there. In the 22 years, I think it's 22 years that he has played, and given what has been described about how he had started watching film at 6 o'clock and on and on and on, well, how much time did he get to spend with his wife and kids? Right? Now, I'm not criticizing the man or what he did. Of course not. I'm just saying that I think it was him and others who say there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs. And the question is, what are you willing to trade? And for the vast majority of people who are willing to trade quality time, value, they come up short. And the truth is, that's why you and I will always be employed. Always be employed. Because there are so many people who are quote-unquote damaged because someone else was willing to sacrifice time with them. Someone was willing to sacrifice energy, whatever the case is. I have two beautiful daughters who are also pretty. I am an extremely good father. No apology for that. Mm -hmm. None whatsoever. And it is because before my girls came through the birth canal, I said, I want to be an extremely good father. I want to be involved in their lives. I want to pay attention to them. I want to give them what they need, food, clothing, and shelter. What they need. I want to then teach them how to get their wants and desires on their own. I am not going to cater to that. Mm. And so my parenting style is very, very different. And today, if you'll allow me to brag for a minute, please, still have very good relationships with my 32-year-old and my 29-year-old and still married after 35 years. Now, let me not sound like I'm some, you know, some, some angel, okay? Although, now, according to my... Anyway, so... so, 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 so let me not sound like I'm an angel. Don't because, say according to your wife, because I'll call your wife. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 according to my <laughs> wife, right? So, uh, um, but I didn't get there on my own by myself. I got there, go back to the question you asked earlier. Sam Hasty, as a man, where did you come from? I got there because I grew up in a home where my dad worked extremely hard, where my mom was a stay-at-home mom for a number of years until all of the kids grew up, and then she started working outside of the home. When I got married, before I got married, my wife and I decided that we wanted her to be a stay-at-home mommy. That means that we were going to have to share a whole lot of sandwiches, okay? Mm -hmm. We were going to have to live in a much smaller house. We were going to have to drive one vehicle rather than two. Those are the kinds of sacrifices. But today, 32 years later for my oldest and 29 years later um, for my youngest, 
they still say, hey, dad. And in a meaningful, substantive way. Does that make me special? Heck yes. <laughs> it makes me special because as a parent, I wanted to be involved. And I recognized, I recognized that I could not have it all and my families. I, I just can't. Mm-hmm. I just can't. They're trade-offs. Yeah, They're trade-offs. And what I prefer is to trade to have my family close to me and with me because unfortunately if you were to spend some time talking with a lot of people in south florida in 55 older communities a lot of lonely people a mm-hmm. lot of lonely people wealthy a well, lot of money great health insurance plans and they have they have more money uh, they, they, their money will outlive them Kids don't come around, don't pay them any attention. And listen, this isn't, let me not paint with a broad brush. Because there are a lot of wealthy people. With excellent relationships with their kids. Excellent relationship with their kids. So it's not one versus the other. The point is, what is it you really want? And how do you go about getting it? I know that what I want is a substantive relationship with my wife and my daughters forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Right. That's what I want. That's what I want. So I give up some things. Of course. I will never sacrifice my family. Just won't. Just won't. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> I can get stuff. I can get stuff. Mm-hmm. What I really want is meaningful relationships with them. So even when I'm done with work at 10 o'clock in the evening nowadays, and I know that I pick up the phone and I call one of my daughters. Hey, Dad, how was your day? Baby, mine was good. How was yours? Dad, it was an awesome day. Awesome day. Or, uh, Dad, not a good day. It was rough. Not a good day. It was a rough day. All right, baby, how can I help with that? Uh, Dad, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But if you stick around, we can talk for a minute. I mean, that'll be great. Oh, well, go ahead. I'm all ears. What's, what's the best advice you could give? Um for for parents in terms of communicating with their kids i've learned recently my daughter's 12 this the year of 12 had was rough it was rough and i'm realizing now how hormonal it is mm-hmm. um, but i'm also realizing that i had to definitely I, i've always shown just love and love and love and love and also because i'm a part-time dad i don't i'm not with my daughter every day i'm gotcha. with my daughter half time um and so whether it was me trying to compensate or just my style, kind of like my style of leadership here is very loose and mm-hmm. just loving. Mm-hmm. Um, I was cutting her too much slack for a 12-year-old. And so, but I saw quickly that when I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to just, I had some deep conversation with her and I said, this is going to change. Yeah. And I'm going to become much more stern and you might not like it. Correct. But it's not for, it's not because I want to, it's because I have to. So what advice would you give to parents who are struggling to, to communicate or, or just dealing with huge attitudes from their teenage kids, um, or just struggling with parenting in general. Yeah, yeah. If there's one word, yeah. the word is consistency. Okay. Now, what is it that you're going to be consistent with? When we talk about parenting, particularly in the, in the sciences, we talk about four parenting styles, um, one of which is, is uh, um, the authoritarian, I like to refer to as the Hitler the style, Hitler, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. People can understand that. Or the authoritative. Most people confuse authoritarian with authoritative. The research tends to show that authoritative 
is the most effective for the vast majority of parenting. What is authoritative? Authoritative is warm and inviting, but it holds structure and discipline. Mm -hmm. Structure and discipline. And then there is the permissive. Ah, do what you want. The laissez-faire. Ah, laissez-faire. Yeah. Right? Right? It doesn't work. And while some parents think that kids really like that, and kids like it in the beginning, but in the end they say, oh, my God, I wish it were different. Wish it were different. So I often in, in, in encourage parents to subscribe to the authoritative, which is create structure, adhere to discipline. But most importantly, teach your child self-control. Now let me jabber on here for a minute or two. One of the things that we've done in parenting, and going all the way back to the 80s, um, and particularly, this came about because of the 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 epidemic um, uh, here in the U.S. of drug use and abuse. Mm -hmm. And what we saw in many instances was that individuals who were using, and particularly those who were abusing drugs, their their self-esteem was low. And so we concluded at the time that well, the way to really discourage your children from using drugs is to build their self-esteem. And so in the 80s, we got high on the build self-esteem wagon. And we would build self-esteem and build self-esteem and build self-esteem, and that turned into building bullies and narcissists, and, because that's what happens. That, that is what tends, I mean, that's one of the things that can happen, right? Because we're hyperinflating the kids for, Absolutely. Not, for doing nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. Unchecked. Yeah. Right? Here's a participation trophy. Here there you go. go. Yeah. There you go. So one of the things that begins to happen is, oh, I'm awesome, I'm wonderful, I'm great. I'm the center of the universe kind of thing. Well, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. No, you're not. And so what we saw then, and this research came out of um, University of Florida, um, where we saw that 30 years of doing that really did not work. What did the researchers find? Rather than building self-esteem, what should we build? We should build self-control. And more recently, what we saw, I think there was some either TikTok or some, some kind of social media platform where the marshmallow, the marshmallow test, test yes, that's and great. what we see from the marshmallow test is that f at four years of age, children who are able to, 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 to generate and who are able to, to, to demonstrate, is what I'm going to demonstrate delayed gratification, discipline, and self-control, 15 years later, much more successful in life, much more successful. So in authoritative, authoritative style of parenting is one where you create a safe space for your child, for example, to say whatever they want to say respectfully, to do whatever they really want to do, legally and morally, to go whatever they would like to go within the parameters of the age that would allow them to be safe, mm -hmm. to just kind of grow up as a tree in the garden, so to speak, while you provide the watering and the soil and the sunshine, and you just really in many ways observe guide and direct. So when you see the tree bending in a certain direction and you know it's not in their own best interest, then you lean up against that tree so that it grows a little bit more straight. Yeah. And But you don't do it in, a, you know, I'm the parent. I'm the authority. You better do as I say. Because now that kid begins to say, you know what? My day is coming. 
I too will be the parent. And when the opportunity comes for me to legally leave the house even before I become the parent, I'm gone. Good luck too. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Because they've just now created a situation that's really bad for their child and their children. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe in, 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 in raising kids to be wild weeds. I wasn't one. I wasn't one. I didn't raise my girls to be wild weeds. But I raised my girls a little bit different than I did. So when I was being raised in the 60s, uh, 60s by parents who didn't even have a high school education, all they knew was what they got. That's all they knew, right? I got spanking like, I mean, the way that I was spanking the Bahamas, uh -huh. my parents would have gone, particularly my dad, would have gone to jail for that <laughs> in America, okay? But... That's all he knew at the time. And for him, you know, I mean, very godly man, you spare the rod to spoil the child. Boy, come and get this rod, yep. right? And you got the rod, yeah. right? I raised my girls very differently for several reasons. Number one, I wanted to have a much more intellectual approach. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have a much more logical approach. I wanted to have, hear me on this, a more loving approach. Does, does it mean that my dad didn't love me and my, my No, he did. But the way he interpreted it and the way he responded, it was very, very different. So my girls really did not grow up being spanked. In fact, in fact, and I often say that my girls were not spanked beyond age four. And there's a reason for that. And one of the biggest reasons is because permanent memories begin to settle at about age four. And the last thing I wanted my girls to remember was a man laying a hand on them. Mm. And so... <laughs> my girls today, you put a hand on them, you're going to lose that hand. Absolutely. Right? Because they're not going to subscribe to this principle of, oh, I'm sorry I did something wrong, spank me. Right? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. It doesn't work that way because they grew up in a different kind of space mm -hmm. where they were allowed to be themselves. Not rude, not obnoxious, not disrespectful, not doing things that were illegal nor immoral. Mm -hmm. That was never tolerated, and it's not tolerated even at 32 and 29. But at 39, uh, uh, but at 32 and 29, self-discipline, self-control, delayed gratification on their own part. I don't have to do that anymore. Of course not. So I go to sleep well. Yeah. I sleep at peace. Now, are you all, always concerned about are your kids safe? Yes, yes. But you entrust them mm -hmm. that they are. So... Parenting is something that we need to get so much better at. And here's what's interesting. Several years ago, one of my students taking a class at my... I'm going to interrupt you. You should definitely develop a course for parenting, too. It's necessary. Is it really? Oh, most parents... Think about it. How many people are parents? How many people have any sort of education on parenting? Very few. Very few. Very few, indeed. So... Shortly after starting at Miami-Dade College, um, student of mine was dating um, a gentleman, and um, I introduced to the class my relationship coaching um, program. And so she said, would you coach me and my boyfriend, which I could not do at the time because she was my student, right? Conflict of interest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't. I didn't. But once she um, left the college, I did. They were in that coaching program, I think, for about six months. Eventually, they married. I officiated the ceremony. Recently, recently, um, three years after marrying, 
In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, they gave birth to their first son. Mm-hmm. And before giving birth to their son, the gentleman said, I want to contract with you to teach me about parenting. Now, here's a, here's a young man, comes from a very, very good home, very, very good home, extremely bright man, holds his MBA. But here's what he recognizes. He could get better at doing something that he has never really done. Of course. Right? And so, yeah, we're going to do that. But I'll take you up on that because perhaps one of the, here we go, one of the things that we will do together is build that platform, you and I, for parenting. So what we will do is collaborate on a project where it will be some internet-based, some something, where through the work that you're doing and through the work that I'm doing, we can create a space where either we create a workbook in addition to um, on this podcast or through some other means, we now begin to help individuals become better at this thing called parenting. So whenever you're ready for that, you call a brother. Don't tell me that. These guys are going to get upset with me. (laughs) These guys are going to get upset with me. And um, I forgot what I was going to say right now because you just threw me off. Mm. (laughs) But no, I would love to. I think it's absolutely necessary. Indeed. Um, I think most people don't know how to parent. Um, Most people don't. and, And even I always find it interesting when somebody... Um, when you try to give advice, I, I'll, I'll put my brother out there. I, I don't know if he'll even listen to this, so it's fine. Uh, my brother, if I tell him, if I challenge him about something he's doing as a parent, oh, that is not the way to go. If I just say, hey, maybe you should talk to her like this. Oh, don't tell me what how to talk to my of daughter. Of course, that's and my I'm, daughter. And I'm like, okay. And it's interesting now as I've sat across from a couple of men here and I've asked them about their parenting styles and I realize how how much they vary in terms of what our expectations correct what we want from our daughters what we want for our sons like i'm i'm okay with my daughter getting b's my brother a1a no matter what and i'm like well i don't want to demand perfection from her because i want her to realize that she doesn't have to be perfect um i I want her to see that she can make mistakes and she could still grow and 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 prosper as a human correct but then there's other people that just they demand that perfection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that that's where I don't know if there's a, just a disconnect or if we can look at parenting styles and say, well, not not that one's right and what's wrong, but Correct. there has to be a happy middle ground there. Has to be something there. And there is a there there. Yeah. One of which is, and get ready for this curveball. Perhaps, maybe this isn't a curveball for you. As a parent, you should have no expectations of your children. Mm-hmm. Zero. Zilt, not or none. Mm-hmm. To the degree that you have an expectation of your children, you've already set them up for failure. Now, we think that by having expectations for them, we're giving them something to rise toward. This is not true. We're giving them something to fall away from. See, the psychology mm-hmm. works in the very opposite. So if you do not create expectations for your children, once again, does that mean that they can do anything at any time that they want to do? No, no. But here's what you do. You help them to identify the things about which they are most desirous. Once again, anyone persuaded against their will is of the same persuasion still. 
And so from very, very early, because we do this in a whole lot of other areas. I mean, very early on, we take our kids to a restaurant, or it was going to be Mickey D's or something else. What would you like? And they would look at the menu and they'd say, here's what, here's what I want. We don't say to them, well, you should get, you should get this. Mm-hmm. No, we ask them what they want. Why wouldn't we do that in the same way academically, professionally? Mm-hmm. All right? Now, we know that they don't have the faculties, particularly very early on, to make those kinds of major, major decisions. But there is a way to guide and steer them and direct ever so gently. Mm-hmm. This, again, goes back to... to um, the scaffolding technique, scaffolding okay. technique. Um, he'll come to me, uh, Russian, Russian psychologist, uh, Lev Vygotsky. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lev Vygotsky, uh, those of you who are not familiar with Lev Vygotsky and scaffolding, look him up. But particularly here in the Miami area, we see scaffolding on the side of buildings all the time. And the scaffolding goes up as the building goes up because you need the scaffolding to get the building to where it actually needs to go. But at some point, at some point, the scaffolding comes down and the building remains Mm. because the scaffolding was only there in the first beginning to provide guidance and directions and support while the more permanent structure was being erected. And the The, scaffolding is us and the kids are the building. That's 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 exactly it. And so what we do and, 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 and this is. This is this is this is where you're talking about, you know, creating a course in parenting. Really, I, you know, you're onto something. We're gonna do this. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're gonna do this because most parents actually want this. Yeah. And I get it in my classes all the time. Truth of the matter is, I can't find enough time in the day um, because my students they want mentoring. I provide the mentoring. They want counseling. I can't provide counseling, but they want guidance with 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 parenting, and I try to do that through the courses. People are hungry out here. People are hungry. What I'm trying to provide in all of these instances is, and allow me this, quality information on the for real for real tip that people can benefit from. Mm-hmm. So. We haven't delved into this area. We may not have time, whatever time we... My time is yours, okay? I'm good. So, for example... Uh, oh, did you see that all these lights are blinking on the camera? I'm just, I hadn't noticed that before, that's why. It's blinking? Sorry, I can't. Okay. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure because... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yes. So, Valentine is upon us, and I'm talking about quality information that we try to provide. Absolutely. Right? Valentine is upon us. A lot of people are going to have broken hearts this Valentine, and the next, and the next, and the next. And one of the reasons is because of this thing called romance. And what most people do not know about romance is that it is not real. It's a facade. It is a facade, mm-hmm. right? Romance is not real. It is a facade. So I'm going to give a A quick... bunch of women are being getting really pissed off right now. Absolutely. Okay. Just Absolutely. I just want to put that out there. A lot of people are expecting to have a dinner date. They're not going to. A lot of people are expecting to have a ring. They're not going mean, to. A lot of people are expecting to get married. That's not going to happen because we have bought into this romantic myth for a very, very long time. So romance is not real. What do you mean it's not real? It's not real. Romance Romance is a made-up language. It's a fictitious language. So go all the way back to the 12th century. Um, During the days of um, kings and queens, when kings were extremely busy with managing their kingdoms and queens 
well, they were just queens. And they had a lot of time on their hand, particularly given that they didn't have social media. Uh, they had a lot of time on their hand. But what do they do with their day? So one of the things they did with their day was to have entertainers come in to entertain them. Mm -hmm. These entertainers were called troubadours. So they were like poets and musicians and, and performers. And mm -hmm. these troubadours came in to the courts, which were then subsequently called uh, courtly love, is what uh, troubadours kind of engaged in telling the stories that they did. So troubadours, these entertainers, would come into the courts of these queens where their maids were with them for entertainment purposes. The troubadours, these entertainers, would then tell stories like the knight in shining armor. But here's where the history really makes the difference. Because these stories that were being told were fictitious, made of stories, never intended to be real nor convey anything real, it was required then for the stories to be told in a created French dialect called Romance, R-O-M-A-N-Z. 900 years later, not only have we changed it to R-O-M-A-N-C-E, but we have lost we have lost the whole piece about it was never intended to be true nor real. It was never. It was pure entertainment. And now we look at romance as a critical centerpiece, particularly to quote unquote love relationships. Mm -hmm. And so now people have these expectations of what should be happening this coming weekend or Valentine or what. And then when they don't come, because the expectation is there, now they feel hurt and disappointed and rejected and hey you're operating on something that was always a mirage what do you say to women who always talk about this feeling and these butterflies that, that come about yes the feelings of the butterflies are very very real mm -hmm. but that's because that's because of a drug in your brain mm -hmm. called ethylamine mm -hmm. the same drug in chocolate mm -hmm. Right. And so one, once again, one of the things that a lot of people do not know is this thing uh, Dr. Dorothy Tenov introduced in 1979 called limerence. Limerence is this experience of this flood of ethylamine in the brain that can continuously flood the brain from the time you meet for up to 36 months. And so now what happened is that you're out here and you're just operating. Oh, my God. It is, this, yeah. Yes, yes. You are the one. <laughs> my soulmate. Exactly. My soulmate indeed, right? For the third time, you are my soul, <laughs> right? And it's, it's, it's just because, again, the, the, but these things make for great novels. They make for, 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 for an entire castle in, 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 in Orlando, oh. on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And... I say, romance isn't real, but it's it's okay to buy into the myth. Just like it's okay to go to Disney World and sleep in Cinderella uh, Castle for a day or two, but don't try to do that every night. Yeah, that's unsustainable. It's, I was about to say that feeling is unsustainable. It is unsustainable. So in many instances, what we see happening, particularly in relationships, is that after, particularly after that three-year mark, mm -hmm. person says, "Well." we fell out of love. No, your brain could not sustain the flood of ethylamine continuously. 
And so those receptors had to shut down, had to shut down. And that's where we begin to go into the state of depression or sadness, right? And uh, we have so much work to do in this area. We have a lot of work to do in this area because what we know to be true is what we really want is companionship. That's what we, all of us want quality, healthy companionships. What we've not been taught is how to create, nurture, and grow those companionships. Mm-hmm. And that's the work that I'm trying to do. Right? Just, just help people understand, which, by the way, in the coaching work that I do, there are times I contract with individuals for coaching work, and I'm finding that for, uh, for some couples, two months into the four-month contract, I have to refund the, the two, month, two months. Right. Relationship is over. Mm. Relationship is over, which I refer to as a successful breakup. All right. Because two months in to really studying and learning and understanding this thing about relationships and individuals understanding who they are, what their own goals, dreams, and aspirations are, and how that may in fact conflict with someone else's particularly based on character and value and belief systems, yeah, this is not going to work. And they walk away in many instances, not all, many instances, being friends and being okay with that. And then I coach them from that relationship into a brand new relationship. And it works. Mm. Many of these individuals then go on to marry the person that they were coached into the relationship with. How soon would you suggest somebody seeks some sort of counseling when they begin a relationship? Excellent question. Excellent question. What I would like to see is, particularly after the first month of having met someone, you then get a relationship coach after the first month. After the first month. And then... How can you convince men to do that? I, and I'm being, I'm just being real, right? Why would I go see a therapist? We just met. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you saying? Excellent question. Mm-hmm. Excellent question. Men or women, honestly. Truth. Yeah. Truth. And in those instances, I say to those individuals, did you graduate from high school? And many people say, yeah. I say, do you have any college? I say, yeah, I have a bachelor's mm-hmm. degree. Well, work with me here. So you graduated high school, and you graduated college for what reason? Yeah, because I want to be an engineer, I want to be a therapist, I want to be whatever, whatever, whatever. All right, got you. So you were willing to give 12 years of life up through high school to focus on a career. Yes, but you didn't think that was enough, did you? No, I wanted more. And then you gave it two additional years, 14 for an associate's degree, Mm -hmm. two additional years, 16 for a baccalaureate degree. You have committed 16 years of your life, minimum, to something, as far as a career is concerned, that you believe would last about 30, at best, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And you think that makes sense? Of course it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Of course it makes sense. Well, let me ask. If ever you were in a long-term committed relationship, particularly one like marriage, how long would you like for that to last? Well, until I die. No, I get that. But give me, give me, give me time. Mm-hmm. 30, 40 years. Oh, makes complete sense to me. I've been in for 35, mm-hmm. right? So it makes complete sense to me. 
And up to this point, how much coaching, training have you had about being in that relationship? None. Zero. Wait, you're telling me that for a career that you want to last 30 years, you'll give 50% of your time, you'll give 16 years for it to last for 30 years, and for the thing that you want to last a lifetime, you would give it no time whatsoever? It is no wonder that 50% of all first-time marriages in America end in divorce. And then when people get divorced and marry for a second time, they get divorced at a higher rate for the second and for the third time. Usually, people get it then. Usually they get it because they can see the correlation. The truth of the matter is, you are really going to need to pay for what you get. And when I say pay, in this particular case, pay time. Mm -hmm. You're going to need to invest the time. And even when we get our baccalaureate degrees, most of us beyond that, let's say we don't need nothing more than the baccalaureate degree as a degree to really get into the profession that we want. Most of us will continue to read. We will go to professional uh, development seminars. Mm -hmm. We will go to conferences because we feel the need to stay on the cutting edge in reference to that profession. We have no such notions. Again, we have these romantic notions about healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. And when they don't work, well, that's your fault. It's always the other person's fault. Or we were just not supposed to be together. Or, yeah, they didn't turn out to be my soulmate. Or, yeah, yeah, it wasn't real love. No, no, you did not get any training. You did not get any training in the thing that you really, just as we were talking about parenting earlier. Mm -hmm. True of the matter is that a lot of parents are really, really good parents. Most parents are not great parents. They're just not. Yeah. They're just not. And that's not a hit on parents. They just haven't been educated about this thing. And so most parents are out here, you know, just throwing darts in, in the dark. The same is true in relationships. So yes, it is more often than not, it is difficult for men. It is difficult for men because men have been raised in a culture where no man is going to tell me what to do mm -hmm. unless it's in reference to my career. That's it. And so it's on women. And I say to women, particularly in my coaching, when I'm coaching in uh, single women mm -hmm. who want to meet, and I say, listen, in the first month of this relationship, freely and openly share that you're being coached. Mm -hmm. Force the conversation about that person, if they want to continuously be with you, that they have to join you in the coaching process moving forward. If they don't, get out. I just had a moment where I had to think about that. And if a woman approached me and said, oh, you know, I've been seeing a coach and now you're coming with me, I think, I think it would scare me, honestly. It would. It, it would. would. If you are not secure in who you are, most of us are not. Well, what if I'm not sure that, I, why am I going to start going to coaching with this woman? I don't even, I just met her. Right, right. The whole idea is to see if it goes any farther. Because once again, the individuals that I coach, that whole question in that first date, we nailed that stuff right up front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why would you want to be in a relationship with me? Like, where would this thing really go? Yeah. But, but I don't know. Like, those those questions, I'll be honest with you, would freak me out in the beginning. Yeah. Just because I'll be hesitant. Like, well, she's... That's it. She's trying to, she's trying to put the stamp on it from, from the beginning. Right, 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 right. If you are just not open to it, now, for particularly for men who have been in a number of relationships and they really haven't worked, 
they tend to be a little bit more open, mm-hmm. although they are still reserved. Gotcha. So a part of the coaching, um, particularly with my female clients, is the approach, the way that they would communicate that. So it's it's not going to be a heavy sell, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, when I'm coaching them, I says, feel free to share this with the person uh, that you're currently dating, um, not in some necessarily overt way, but things are going to come up in conversation. Mm-hmm. And as they come up in conversation, you just mention about how you've been able to work on some things through your own coaching. Mm-hmm. And eventually the person will... and. Believe it or not, more often than not, men have been willing to come into this process more often than not. And for those individuals who've not been able, who've not been willing to come in, then I say to my client, give it some time. And if you don't see within the next four weeks, maximum eight weeks for a total of three months that you've been dating, call it off. Gotcha. Call it off. So once again, Patient, kind, gentle, giving, and forgiving, but not tolerance of nonsense and foolishness. There's there's two things that I wanted to touch on. Um, I don't know how much time you have. I don't even know how long we've been going, but it's okay because I'm I'm interested in this conversation. And I asked her. It's it's awesome to speak to somebody from a spiritual yes. background, um, because these are the same questions I asked somebody else in your same field. Mm. Yeah. So. How do you feel about uh, pornography being involved in relationships? For me, that's a no-no. Yeah. And tell me why, in your opinion. Yeah. For me, that's a no-no. Because the problem with pornography is that there is a visceral reaction. And to the degree that there's an emotional reaction, there's usually some kind of attachment. Now, does it mean that everyone who watches pornography is going to get addicted? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But what it does mean is that there is something about that particular content you feel the need either to inspire you or to motivate you. And it's not just the, con- it's the nature of the content. What is it about you and your partner needing to be intimately involved with another naked couple? That's, 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 that's an arena because once you begin to get those kinds of pictures in your head, those pictures carry over. They, 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 they continue to be with you. Now you begin to get into the comparison kind of a thing. And comparisons are never good. Now, do you need pornography to make a comparison? No, you can make a compa- comparison with previous relationships, mm-hmm. but comparisons are never good. But what now is going to happen is you're going to find yourself, at least in some instances, if not all, or even many, reverting to the watching of pornography separate and apart from being with that person, even in intimate ways, right? It becomes dangerous territory because of the visceral and emotional attachment to the content. And it is possible for someone to lose control over access to that content. Most people don't. Most people don't. But... um, for individuals who become addicted, it is because there is, there, there, there is a predisposition of some kind, whether it's genetic or social or emotional predisposition to becoming addicted to that particular thing. And once you become addicted to it, again, not everyone will, once you become addicted to it, that wreaks havoc on a relationship. 
because now you're always fighting with the other person. The other person is not the persons in the video. Mm. The other person is pornographic mm. material in general. It doesn't lend itself. It doesn't lend itself to creating harmony because, particularly for men, and let me speak to men here for a minute, okay. especially if you are watching pornography in times that you are not being intimate with your partner, in many instances, what's going to happen is you're going to get the exact reaction that you wanted to get, which is getting yourself to the point of being ready to be sexually intimate. If that person is not there, 11 times out of 10, you do the math, okay? <laughs> 11 times out of 10, you end up masturbating. Mm -hmm. Now, if your partner then wants to be intimate with you, and you do not perform in the same way that you did previously, they will recognize it. Mm -hmm. They will recognize because there's a drop in performance, mm -hmm. particularly as we men get older. Listen, <laughs> it takes time to reload and then fire. <laughs> it just does, right? Yeah, so, 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 so when you're much younger, uh, I like to say when you're much, you know, so between 15 and 20, 21 thereabouts, you're like a machine gun. Mm -hmm. Between 20 and about 30, uh, you're kind of like automatic pistol. <laughs> all right, all right. You get to 35 and 45. Now you're tapping into my, don't hurt my emotions right now. Listen. I think, you know, I, I, I still got it. it, it I still it's, got it, it's, champ. It's, it's, it's going to be a shot, uh, shotgun. I'll take a shotgun. Right? Good, right? Comes with a punch. You start getting into 50, 55 and older, uh -huh. it's going to be a musket, okay? Uh. It's going to be, I, 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 I mean, you're going you're gonna to have to pack the powder. That's going to take some time. I mean, I mean you're going to have to put the little ball and you're going to have to put the piece of cloth in there. You're going to pack it again, you know, and then you have to size them and then you struggle to get it just right. And, and the shape. aim is off aim and is you're off shaky. And, 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 I get it. And, and, and then, oh, you missed, right? And, and then you got to pack all over again. Yeah. Right? No, it's... it's I hear you. Yeah. Whereas, even if, and, and, and this is a heterosexual uh, relationship, even if she's 60, she's always going to be a machine gun, okay? It's just the way it is. That's right? the way it is. It's, bio, you, can't, you can't change the biology, right? The biology is the biology. Yeah. Right? Why the good Lord made us that way, only Him knows. Yes. Right, and so we accept it for what it is. Okay, and so yeah, no, no, no. It's 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 no. Don't drag, don't drag anyone into your relationship, whether it's physically, socially, emotionally, psychologically, or visually through camera and the yeah. like. Don't do it. it. It it's here we go. It's unfaithfulness. Okay. It is unfaithfulness. Some people this, and obviously some people will completely agree, and then some people are of the very, I want to say, liberal mindset where. Mm -hmm. No, it's fi it's fine. We we need to be aroused. It's okay to to masturbate, and it's it shouldn't be an issue. It it has no. It doesn't mean I'm being deceitful towards my partner. My partner knows. Mm, yeah, it doesn't quite work that way, right? Take a class on arousal, right? And 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 take a class on 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 take a class on really understanding what it is to appreciate your sexuality all on your own by yourself without you necessarily having to ejaculate, right? So, the, 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 again, we, we, 
we become so accustomed in everything having to go somewhere or lead somewhere just to be clear in the moment and still and appreciate who you are for, again, you are masturbate, masturbate on your own, right? But but if you're having to, to even in that particular case, if you're having to use some something to get you to that point, okay, that that's 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 that could be a problem too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sexual intimacy is a wonderful thing that should be celebrated among couples, married couples. Anyway, don't get that's all right. But it's I'm telling you, it's so it's so refreshing, right? To just hear, I mean, very same profession. Yes, but just different frames. Yeah, different yeah. frameworks. Yeah, I. I I come from a very, very different, very, very different framework. And and because I do believe in this, not just marriage, but the sanctity of marriage and the wholeness of marriage and, 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 and the health and well-being of marriage, I also believe in the sanctity of singlehood and being single and being healthy and whole. But I believe very strongly from a purely biblical perspective, right, that single, if you're sexually engaging, that's called that's called wrong. Right? <laughs> All right. Did you hear that, Eva? <laughs> that, She's still way too young, but yeah, 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 yeah. Hell, it's, it's, hell, yeah. Just I mean, fire. People, people, people are going to have their 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 own views, and that's okay. That's okay. I mean, listen. Quite frankly, I mean, um, most of my clients, single and sexually intimate. They are, mm-hmm. they are. And even, and, and we have that conversation early on up front and I say to them, so if you're in a brand new dating relationship, do your best not to become intimate before three months, before three months, because you really need to allow yourself time to not only get to know you better, but get to know you better in this relationship with this person. And if you find that someone is pressing you prior to that time, eh, that's a sign you need to pay attention to that. And not only that, because of the flood of emo- the flood of emotions that comes with being sexually active with somebody that just changes the dynamic absolutely. of the relationship. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So it does make a difference. So I, I'm, I, I'm not saying that I don't work with individuals who, who, who do not marry or do not want to be married or they want to be sexually active while I'm coaching. No, I mean, I have my own values. I have my own beliefs. I have my own philosophy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that you're coming to me really to work on what's happening with you psychologically. Gotcha. All right? I'm not your gynecologist. All right? Uh, I am not your urologist. I have some cottage cheese. (laughs) Can you take a look for me, Dr. Hasty? That's how it is, right? Yeah. you're like no 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 wrong doctor yeah 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 wrong, wrong doctor one. yeah 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 not my discipline so yeah, not at all not my discipline so what would you say um, I know that you're not into social media but you were talking about dating apps earlier correct and so the question I had for you regarding dating apps is do you feel that dating apps have um, caused relationships to be more dispensable because we can easily I can pull up Bumble, Tinder or whatever else people use. And just swipe along. Correct. Swipe lives. Correct. Right? If you really think about it, you're swiping lives. Correct. And then all of a sudden, oh, I match with this one. Okay, cool. Then you go, you meet that person. It works out two, three months. You have sex. Sex is great. You get into a fight. And you're, you know what? I don't have to deal with this. I know Correct. exactly where to go. I go back to the source. Correct. And I swipe away and I Correct. start the cycle again. Correct. Correct. So 
social media didn't create that. Mm -hmm. Social media exploited. Okay. Expose and exploit. Okay. That is really a function of a person's character. Mm -hmm. So we keep coming back to that. Mm -hmm. All right. So technology is wonderful, but to the degree that we use technology to exploit these kinds of things become problematic. Problematic. So for me, again, working with my client, it's all about your character. It's all about your character. That's why even for brand new relationships, I say, hey, listen, you're going to use it? Great. Let's get 12 in one time. All right, let's 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 get let's let's get because we're going to filter through mm -hmm. those twelve, and and in the process of filtering through those twelve, what I will guide you through is how to go about making that selection. The idea is that eventually I work myself out of a job. Eventually, I work because I'm now teaching you to better understand who you are, who your value or what your values are, what your beliefs and philosophies really are, and how to make a selection on who you are, not only who the other person is as well. Mm. So it, it's it's it is this mentoring, tutoring, guiding, directing with the full intention of working myself out of a job, so that when these two individuals eventuate into marriage, if that's where it goes, even if you do need me or someone like me on down the road, it's intermittent. Mm. It's very seldom. Mm -hmm. And most couples that I've seen over the years, I hear from them once a year, once every three years, and um, I'm getting ready to, um, not this year, maybe next year, um, to create... A, um, and it'll be a fundraiser annually for the Orchards, but I'm getting ready to create a um, marriage enrichment conference. Okay. And so conferences, books. Yes. It's awesome. All of these things that, that, that I don't have time for. <laughs> but you're uh, making time. I'm, 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 I'm making time for them because what I know is people want to be in healthy relationships. And at the expense of possibly sounding how it may sound, I'm good at this thing called relationships and helping people come into create, nurture, and grow healthy relationships. And so every possible means by which I'm able to leverage that, I want to do that. So the, the Marriage Enrichment Conference, the first one will probably be uh, the fall of next year. Mm -hmm. And there will be two unique features about the Marriage Enrichment Conference, one of which is... It will happen every year in a place where it had not previously happened. So I'm selecting the Bahamas as the first one, okay? I'm a little biased. It's fine. Right? I'll take it. I'm a little biased. The other unique feature about the marriage enrichment conferences is that every year that there's a conference, there will be a marriage performed at each of the conferences. Okay. All right? So every year... There will be someone getting at least one person. Okay. At least one person. Now, if the thing really blows up, for lack of a different expression, we're going to have several marriages at one conference. Because the idea is the conference to eventually become huge and huge and huge. Not, not just to be huge, but to be of service to individuals who can really benefit from the conferences. These conferences will be four-day, three-night conferences where people from all over the country, eventually all over the world, will come to the... And maybe there will be more than one conference a year if they get to that size. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea is that, 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 that I can have a Dr. Mesa come and talk um, about 
the mental health status of a relationship and how to really deal with anxiety or how to really deal with depression. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with depression in the first five years of your marriage? How do you deal with depression in the next 10 years of your marriage? Well, that's where you come in with your expertise. So you will then come as my guest to the conference and then you will present to the um, attendees. And that's the way this thing is going to work. So every year, something brand new, somewhere brand new, creating a brand new relationship. That's awesome. That is what we want to do. We are all about healthy relationships, Dr. Mason. Wait, wait, you got to be honest, though. So every year we need updates on those marriages. We need to know whether or not they were working. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Because you and I both, um, you as a former professor, me as a current professor, uh, but you're still a scientist. Mm -hmm. I believe very, very, very strongly in data, yeah. in data. And so we will collect the data. And so even before individuals go to the conference, there will be an assessment of where they are in their relationships. There will be a pre-test, post-test, and only so much you can do with that statistically, right? Yeah. right? So there'll be pre-test and post-test, mm -hmm. and then for individuals, and we, and, and we will watch it year after year after year. We will, been, we will be able to gather our own data and our own statistics. Mm -hmm. We will then... In addition to me and you, there will be others who will be seeing clients working all over the country, all over the world with couples, and they will be a part of that database, and we'll be able to, 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 to create this, this wealth of knowledge that we can share with each other through these social media platforms that I'm not on, through these other yeah, <laughs> through these other means where weekly newsletters or monthly newsletters, this... Um, I'm interested in people getting what they want, which is really healthy relationships. Now, I, I think beyond that, I think what you're interested in is educating people. I really am. Yeah, I think you're an educator through and through. I am. And that's where all of your passion is driven. You get from. it. Yeah, absolutely. You can hear it. And not only as a tenured professor, but just as all, all the way around, it's education. Education for individuals that are single, individual uh, for relationships, for parents. Yes. You and I think that's that's where there's a synergy here because that's all I want to do is educate. And it's not even about people think I, I'm here to educate about mental illness. I'm here to educate about mental health. Correct. Right. Correct. Because the illness is a very small portion it is. of people that we see. It is. Mental health affects every single individual who lives, who breathes, who has a heartbeat. And uh, that's cool. That's cool to, to have somebody sitting here in front of me who has the same passion. the same Absolutely. Drive. Greater, gr greater health leads to greater wealth. Absolutely. Physically, socially, emotionally, financially, spiritually, intellectually, greater, greater health leads to greater wealth. And that's what I'm really interested in. So we come full circle. Hey, Sam, hey, see, where did this come from? Because that same authoritarian father of mine, right? Uh, again, in all of his ignorance, mm -hmm. what he knew was that knowledge is power. And he says, boy, go get it. Go get it. And every step of the way, I'm, I'm the only one of his children that has a doctorate degree. That's my choice. Mm -hmm. Because most of my siblings are a whole lot brighter than I am. They don't have the credentials that I have, but they're a whole lot brighter. Mm -hmm. All it means is that I stayed in college longer. And as I tell the story, they, if they were interested in a doctorate degree like I have, It'll just take them half the time, okay? Mm -hmm. Because they're brighter. But what we got from what we got from my dad, particularly, and of course my mom's support, 
but particularly for my dad, was when you get it, no one can ever take it away from you. No one can ever take it away from you. Go and get it. Go and get it. And so that, I mean, that resonated with me. Now, here's what's interesting. Not only with me, but with my girls. Go and get it. Go and get it. And as I said to class recently, I really, I'm not sure what the word is. Well, I really understand that so many of my students, they have to work and go to school. My girls were never faced with that. My girls never had to work when they were in college. Never had to work. Mm -hmm. And that's because their mom and I worked so hard to make sure that they did not have to do that. They did not have to. Because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. Now, my oldest, you know, she decided she wanted to work anyway because she wanted more money than mom and dad were willing to give her, mm -hmm. which is fine. But her needs were met. Her, her, her desires were not going to be met. And so she had to go and meet those desires herself, okay? Dad going to buy you a pair of sneakers. If you want Nike, you go and get Nike on your own, okay? Uh -huh. You're going to get some, 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 some Chuck Taylor, okay? <laughs> right? right? But so, so, so if you wanted Gucci shoe, well, go and Gucci yourself, right? Yeah. Right? It's, no, no. We're going to get you a pair of some something from somewhere that's going to be comfortable. <laughs> it's going to be last a while, but... It's, it's not Gucci. It's Dr. not product. No, 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 oh, awesome. no, no. Well, Dr. Hasty, I want to say it's been a pleasure. Pleasure's mine. So I know that you're not on social media. I'm not. So if people want to find you, where can they find you? If email is considered social media, which I don't think it is, right? We'll go ahead. What's your email? Okay. So I can be found at info at helpful hasty. That's E-H-E-A-S-T-I-E. Correct. H E A S T I E. Perfect. So info at helpfulhasty.com. Awesome. Right. awesome. So folk can find me there. If you so choose, you can get me at shasty at gmail.com. Um, so either one of those. And then if you really want to get me, you can call me. But if you can figure that number out, okay, here we go 910 978 8667. I hope this doesn't blow up too much because you're gonna have a whole lot of phone. I, 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 I hope it doesn't. Uh, actually, well, I hope. Actually, I hope it does. I hope it does too. I hope it does. I hope yeah. your phone's ringing off the hook. I hope people are seeking you for education. Yes. Whether it's on parenting, which is something we're gonna develop. Correct. Or whether it's on relationships or for your conference. I wish you the best of luck. It's a pleasure to have a visionary like thank yourself you. sitting in front of me. So. Thank you very kindly. And thank you for the work you do. Thank you. Th and not, again, not just for the work that you do, but for the person that you are. Because um, I know one particular student of mine and the person of Josie, uh, she, she she speaks well of you. And rightfully so. I'm surprised. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and, 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 and rightfully so. So know this much. Whenever you want me on, I'm just a phone call away. That's I am awesome. always here for you because of what you're doing, but more so because of who you are. And yes, each of us is doing our own thing, but we can do a lot of things together. I agree. And if we build those things together, and listen, there's enough for us to do our own thing and not get in each other's way and still collaborate sufficiently that the needs of South Florida and beyond can be met in very, very meaningful ways. I agree 100%. I've been working in silos way too long. 
And yeah. that's I think we need to collaborate a whole we lot do. more across the board. We do. And so. that's that's exactly what I'm interested in doing. So last week I appeared on another podcast and 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 they are wanting by the way, the the one of the one of the facilitators of that podcast, mm-hmm. he is going to enter my relationship coaching program. There you go. He and his girlfriend. There you go. And uh, the 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 catch with them is, yeah, I'll do it pro bono, but you need to bring me on your show and let's talk about how that thing is going. That's awesome. How that thing is going. So, I know you have um, several single people here. Wait, the last I checked, so you included. Okay, great. No, no, here I'm we, not single. You, you're no, not. No, I have a girlfriend. Yeah. Oh no, you're single. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, like oh, I'm gonna tell her that today when yeah, I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna like, make sure like, I tell her, like, hey, I'm single. <laughs> Doctor Hasty said I am single, so yeah, I am claiming. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Like, 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 particularly here in America, here are the categories: single, single. married, divorced, and widowed. Okay. 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 So that's you're single. Yeah, I'm single. Yeah, you're you 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 you're single. Now, what I hear you say is that you are committed. This, this is true. Yes, yes. But I'm uh, single. Hey, yeah. call me. <laughs> Gonna get me in uh, trouble. Yeah. But where I was going with this is, so I know um, you and your girlfriend mm-hmm. um, are probably, are pro- as good as you are, as good as you are as a clinician, you can probably benefit from some coaching, oh, okay? 100%. Okay, we're in. And then there are a number of single, uh, I know, Women here? All the single ladies. All the single ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Some of whom are not in relationships at all, mm-hmm. right? What we're going to do, pro bono for them, is we're going to get them coached from meeting someone to marrying someone in 18 months. What? What? <laughs> in 18 months. I think say no more in eighteen months. Say no more. All right now, the only caveat is this, ladies: you will have to be willing to appear on the podcast absolutely to talk about the entire experience. I welcome that. You could take my seat right away and talk about your experience with Doctor Hasty all day. Awesome. Hey, thank you so so much. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure sir. Ple- anytime, so anytime for you and your staff. Indeed. Awesome, guys. <laughs>